I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. In 2019, the second review of the National Quality Framework officially commenced. The review aims to identify aspects of the NQF that could be improved or updated and to incorporate new thinking about the regulation of early education. Earlier this year, the Consultation Regulation Impact Statement was released, which identifies options for changes to the NQF and what they might mean. Here at the Early Education Show, there's nothing we love more than a consultation process. So we're going to spend this episode talking about the NQF review in general and a few things from the Regulation Impact Statement specifically. And there are no two better people, no two people who love consultation processes more than the two people I'm uh, here with virtually for this episode, Lisa Hanson. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. More consultations, Lisa. It's been a while, Yay! actually, to be fair. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, your favourite thing. Leanne, how are you going? I'm good and I'm excited. This is this is, this is is our jam, isn't it? Getting into a <laughs> consultation, a review. Well, it is, but as usual, the sort of material that's been distributed is so lengthy and so turgid and so challenging that it's almost like putting you to sleep by page after page. And yeah, I, feel like I'm and breaching, I feel like I'm breaching confidentiality or something, but there was a plaintive uh, Twitter direct message from Leanne today, which was, this thing's 165 pages. I thought it was 65 pages. Am I reading the right thing? And I said, no, sorry, it's 165. Sorry. I thought, and I think what's happened is I've just read 65 and then said <laughs> got 100. The rest of it, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> and Leanne, I think you and I need to apologise to the rest of Australia. Oh. Because this thing has been, like, it's New South Wales that's leading the consultation. Oh, it's leading the NQF yeah, review. It's just and that explains a lot. Another thing New South Wales has to apologise for. Well, oh. it certainly explains the 165 pages. But, hey, Liam, in Canberra, do you, or in the ACT, sorry, do you have, like, is there... Um, uh, sessions that you can go to or you can dial into about the series? Yeah, they had some online ones, and I have to admit now to being a very bad early education professional slash advocate, I couldn't make it to either of the ones that they put on. <laughs> um, so they happened really recently, I think last week, and, and, and just honestly could not find an hour to duck out and do them, but have read the document, uh, I will say. Have you, have you been to any of the New South Wales songs, Leanne? Um, I was booked in last night. That was the only one that I could go to. And then I was delayed coming back from the National Capital well, and I missed it. I hate to tell you, but you didn't miss a thing. You oh. know what they consisted of? They gave a bit of an introductory blurb as to what a C-Riz was and what the process was, etc. Then they read it. What? They read the document. <laughs> what? No. All 165. No, it's not all 165 pages. <laughs> They've broken it up into different ones. So if you are interested in X, you could go and listen to X. Or oh. if you're interested in Y, you could, or family daycare, you could go and listen to that. Ah, and right. So I Was sat through two. I sat through two of these things. I don't. Well, to be honest, I sat through one and a half. And when I realised that they were just going to read it again, I went. 
why am I doing this? I know how to read and I read a lot faster than this very charming young woman that's reading it, but I read faster than her. I guess some people do like take things in, you know, in a different way. You're, you've always been a reader and a fast yeah, reader. Yeah, 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 I'll listeners. acknowledge that. It could have been like consultation regulation impact statement, the podcast. And it could have been like done with dramatic Ooh. music and stuff. Yes, and, and like an audiobook version. Yeah, no, read by Stephen Fry or something. Someone from the Department of Education who I'm pretty sure these guys are still working out of their bedrooms. So you know, you had someone working out of his bedroom, and then somebody else working out of their bedroom. Yeah. Oh no! Dear, oh dear. Hey. Well, looks like I didn't miss too much then. No, just read the document and you'll be fine. Okay. You can read it dramatically if you like that. I will. I'm going to. And Well, I have read much of it, at least 65 pages of it, and uh, that was very dramatic. (laughs) Excellent. Well, before we maybe segue back into the NQF review, I think we probably just wanted to take a moment just to acknowledge the sort of um, incredible flooding and um, yet more evidence of climate change we're seeing across uh, New South Wales and Queensland as well. Um, we had a bit of rain here in Canberra over the last day or two, but I know it was uh, it was a bit just sort of shocking watching the stuff come in from New South Wales. We also know that early education services, after school uh, hours, services and schools themselves, you know, have been affected. We've seen closures and those kind of things. So I think just a, a shout out, some solidarity. Um, it's... Yeah, one year at what COVID, bushfires, smoke, and now and so floods. many of the people are are you know they're being hit by the same the same places are being hit by all of these things. It's tough, very tough, really tough. Yeah, how are you two? How did you two fare during the uh, the the great downpour? Well, not too badly, but it's just been so massive, hasn't it? It's just yeah, the the water's still running down drains here and. It's incredible. Me too. I live at a base of a hill and it's got very good drainage on my property, but I've just heard running water for days and days and days and days. You've got to be really careful of your bladder. (laughs) 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 It's like an elderly woman. (laughs) And then today when the sun came out, just plagues of uh, insects, like more insects than I've ever seen in my life before. And every spider seems to have moved inside my house. And oh, no. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's not just the effects. Like, I had to get into my place, as both of you know, because you've both been, there's lots of twisty, turny roads. And on all those roads, there's now huge potholes. And there's also trees blocking them, a lot of the roads. And so it's just, it's a bit hairy, but it's nothing like some people have faced, you know, but it's still a bit past my comfort level. Oh, yeah, it's super dangerous on the roads. Like, it's because they're so slippery and they're so, and, you know, everybody, particularly in Sydney, nobody, it's like the rain is some sort of event that is not conducive to driving. So everybody drives (laughs) just like different. Idiots. Yes, yes. Very different. Well, I know we... We, we do hear from people that a lot of people listen to us in the car. So if that's you, be yeah. careful. Stay safe, people. Drive Stay safe. safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, again, solidarity out there. And, uh, yeah, hope you're all hope you're all doing well while we all prepare for whatever the next natural disaster that waits to befall us uh, is. <laughs> um, but we thought we, we might start with um, the, the what we were going to do 
uh, for this episode was there is so the way the the decision that uh, what what was the acronym is, was, is that what C Riz is that is that is that yeah, what people are using is that what the cool kids are calling it yeah I, I think, think I was calling like it the Chris which Chris. is bad yeah I think it yeah. should be because you know it's like be like Chris can we call it the Chris <laughs> yeah. I think so. Let's just go our own way. So the Consultation yeah. Regulation Impact Statement, the CRIS, which we will henceforth refer to as Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, it it sort of it identifies a range of um, different areas of the NQF that could be uh, changed and, and what the changes might mean. So we don't have time to get into all of them. Uh, otherwise, we'll be facing a similar situation that Lisa faced last night at the uh, at the at the one of the online sessions, so we, we're each going to sort of bring one to the table. We want to talk more about, but before we do that, we just, we, I think we were just going to talk about it in summary. And I wanted to provide just maybe a little bit of background about the review itself. Um, it's it's I find this stuff really fascinating because obviously we we know that early education is a heavily regulated sector, and there's very very good reasons for that. Where we're talking about the the health and safety and well being and learning of you know over a million children accessing education and care services across Australia. But um, regulation itself is its own little world with its own sort of systems and processes and leaders. And, and I'm always that, that intersection for me when the, the regulatory part of things surfaces more, I find really interesting. So these things like consultation regulation impact statements, and then we'll get a decision regulation impact station down the, the track. We've had issues papers and consultation summary reports. Um, it would be no surprise to regular listeners of the show, though I find that stuff exciting. Anyway, but um, <laughs> just these this this these worlds that intersect, I quite find, but I, I find quite interesting. But uh, as I sort of said in the intro, this is the second review of the NQF since it launched in 2012. The first one was in 2014, but as I had to constantly be reminded by both of you, these things take forever. So people will remember that the the review started in 2014 and the updates to the NQF came out in 2018, and we're looking at a similar time frame for this as well. So we sort of had that 2014 to 18, then 20. 19 a new review starting um, and it's basically just this opportunity for uh, all the the Australian government so the state and territory governments with the with the the national uh, the federal government to um, look at opportunities to make changes to the NQF it's a formalized part of the the uh, the national quality framework under the national law which says that this sort of process can be reviewed so there's a whole bunch of changes made back in 2018 the big ones people but back uh, as a result of the 2014 review the big ones people might remember would be the big changes to the national quality standards so the reduction um, down from 58 elements to 40 uh, and down from I think it was 18 standards down to, to 15 I'm going to be impressed if I remember that correctly um, and so this review will be looking at things that weren't covered by that review. Uh, the process that's been, uh, that has sort of happened so far is that back in 2019, uh, there was a consultation on uh, the issues paper. So an issues paper was developed, which looked at the big things that are being developed. Um, there was the process for um, consultation uh, to, to happen on that, which is the, the current stage we're at now. So I'm going to assume that COVID had a big sort of impact last year in terms of probably making this process go a little bit longer than it intended. But we're now at that consultation phase where the sector or stakeholders or people who are involved um, are being consulted with on specific changes that are being considered. And this is what the consultation regulation impact statement is. Um, and one of the things I sort of, I'm interested in this is that there's a very sort of specific focus to this document. So it identifies specific things that might change. And then, you know, some poor group of bureaucrats has had to come through and actually try and work out, you know, what the either, you know, dollar um, sort of cost might be, or what the, you know, regulatory impact on the sector will be for specific things that are being done. So, 
it isn't exciting. I don't. I, I think we're probably not going to get away with telling you know, it's an exciting document, and it is unfortunately, as Leanne said, 165 pages. But you know, for for advocates and for people who are engaged with the sector, it is a really it's one of the most critical opportunities for us to be involved in the sector and to to sort of shape that um, what the what the NQF could look like. And we should acknowledge as well, it's happening at the same time as the EYLF review. So this is there's a really big sort of change process happening within. Is that happening yet, Liam? Well, I think. It's happening in the sense that people can't see the air quotes I'm making here, but it's happening as in it's been announced and it's started. But I think it's at very early stages. I think they're still tendering for who's actually going to do the EYLF review. But that's, but uh, yeah, it's happening alongside this at the same time. Okay. Is that a pretty good summary? That's a very good that summary. Very good. It was oh, very good. You're very good. welcome. Leanne, do you? remember back in um, 2011 when, um, the, you know, the um, NQF was done, it was, was started, how big was the series then, do you know? Well, that is very interesting that you ask that because I don't know. But I, I don't think it was anywhere near like this. So like I think I recall something and we could be proven wrong here. Oh, no, I it, I've got it. It was 105 pages. Oh, was it, I was going to say yep. 60. So once again, <laughs> I've gone with the, the 65. But I do remember like a Oh, no, maybe thing. that was the – no, that was the 2014 series. So I The Chris, Lisa, we agreed. The oh, Chris. Sorry, the 2014 Chris. But, I don't but the, know. The one before must have been much lengthier than that because it was no, such a it huge... wasn't. It, it wasn't? wasn't. Like my memory, as someone who wrote submissions about it and stuff, was that it was, it was baby. Well, that's why I'm thinking it was sixty pages long. But um, I do recall some fairly tight kind of regulatory impact statements that you know the consultations at that time. But, of course, we didn't have COVID either, so people could gather together. Mm. True. Yeah. That's a good and, point. And maybe, and maybe also it was a little bit different because there was such a process to get to the, the, the NQF that a lot of that work had already been done. Yep. Fair enough. Well, I mean, before we sort of delve into some of the changes that are being proposed, are there any sort of summary opening thoughts we had, Leanne? Um, well, it's long. Yeah. <laughs> it's 100 pages too long, exactly. be my opening thought. Um, what, what I have noticed in looking at some of these elements is how much pressure is on this particular statement as a result of, um, you know, the, the market that we are in. So I feel like it's really influenced by uh, an early, uh, by a market because it's around let's, you know, if we could just do this, it's going to ease the pain of, of you know, having qualified staff or, you know, some of the safety aspects speak to, particular developments that have happened in this space around buildings, for example. And I, I think that we're seeing the influence of a changing landscape uh, of early childhood education that really highlights that we're in a market economy with this now. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Mm. And I, I just find that so disappointing because I just feel like 
we are really compromising children's well-being here and it doesn't matter how you dress it up. I just can't believe that you can have in the same paragraph, we know that qualified people make a difference, but gee, that might be just a bit too tough right now. Oh, God. Are we going to split our <laughs> wrists by the end of this show? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that. I mean, do we think we're going to have to cast our minds back now? Is that, do we think that's a, a change since the last NQF review? I'm, I'm trying to think back to yes. the specific, yeah, it does yes. feel like that's become more of a focus, hasn't it? Yes, I do believe so, because I think it was much more about um, streamlining, uh, you know, the st streamlining what we had rather than. Uh, worrying about some of the things that we, that, you know, we're making changes to the landscape. So it was streamlining the standards there and the, the those elements of of the NQF. I don't know, I, that, that was, that's my feeling. And it felt to me like it was a much more, it was a much richer conversation because it was around, look, this is, this is good. Um, how can we actually make it better? Did you have any summary thoughts, Lisa, before we delve into some of the individual ones? Yeah, this has got nothing to do or very little to do with the National Quality Framework. It's a review of the regulations. Mm. If you go through almost all of them, by far the majority are looking like the, it's primarily about health and safety not about quality. So wherever there's been an incident, a major incident where a child has been, you know, um, killed or whatever, then they've come up with a regulatory change or a proposed regulatory change to stop that. Now, I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea and some of them I love, like they're finally taking on the fact that people are building... Um, education care centres in high-rise buildings. That's been a, a something that I've hated for quite a long time. But there's just nothing there other than regulatory reform. There's a little bit about, oh, let's make it easier for out-of-school hours care services to be rated better. Um, there's a little bit about, you know, workforce stuff, but mostly it's just we can't, make legally make a regulation that is incapable of people fulfilling because of the um because there's no staff to fill the roles that we're saying by regulation they've got to have but 95 percent of the rest of it is all about health and safety stuff mm. and when i think about just the gorgeousness of the very first time mm. that the NQF <laughs> was done when it talked about improving quality and what did we know about improving quality? It was about improving regular uh, ratios and it was in, about improving qualifications. And now we've just got, you know, like now it's just all about regulations. And I do think that that's partially because it's being done yeah. by New South Wales and I, New South Wales to... is obsessive about regulations. But is it, is it because we've done the stuff? I'm just, I'm not saying it is necessarily this, but I'm just posing that question. Is it because we've, we've done the stuff that needs to be done? And this is just around, you know, fiddling around the edges at things that have arisen. No, you just have to look at 
a sequence reports and you can tell that, you know, like although they keep emphasising that, you know, services are improving in quality because of the national quality standard, you can see underneath that <coughs> that that's not true. Mm. There's still huge gaps in the quality of service and differences between you know, service types and even within the one service. Some children go to very good education and care services. Some children go to education and care services that have been rated three times mm. and are still being rated at working towards and nothing's been done about it. Yeah, like when are we going to have those conversations? When are we going to have conversations about changing, you know, the ratio for babies to one to three? When, you know, when are we going to have the things about what can we do to improve the quality and, you know, quality of care available to all children? And how can we make sure that all children are receiving high quality? You know, the, the other thing that this one bangs on about is, you know, um, uh, parents don't understand the national quality framework. And, you know, I can see the star chart, star, New South Wales star chart going na nationally. It's oh. going to go national, guys. I can see the writing on the wall. No. I, I just think that these, you know, the improvement to quality, though, is not going to be initiated by review or by government. Because every every improvement that we have has been initiated by the field or by, you know, a change that we've needed because of families or whatever. It's not been, it hasn't been initiated. I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe it has. Don't you think that Kevin 07 initiated a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the, the NQF? I think that that was um, the one of the pieces of the puzzle, but I, that was very much, you know, from arose from the field, definitely. I mean, certainly it was, you know, a lot of that work had been happening for a long time and it was a light bulb moment for, for Kevin um, and had Maxine McHugh there and I think that they, you know, they listened really because so much of that work had already been done. But Leanne, I don't think that that work is still coming from the field. I don't hear the calls to change the ratio for babies. I don't hear. Well, in, in defence of the field, there's been an awful lot happening. Yeah, true. <laughs> so uh, in, in defence of the field, I think that there's been so much change and so many things happening. Where is the energy that, that is available to actually do that? Yeah. Liam, Liam, you're you're you know you're every day. That's your every day. What do you think about putting together a campaign to make improvements? Well, as the representative of the entire sector on the, uh, on the I'm, I'm very happy to speak. Look, I, I, yeah, I think I think it's a really good point. I think so. Interestingly, so an, a way of thinking of so a couple of things. So one. I agree with everything you've just said. I think the, the thing that stood out for me with this particular Chris, that's catching on, by the way, we're, we're saying that until it's <laughs> catching on, um, 
is that it is really small scale. And I just, I wonder, there's nothing in there that you think, oh, wow, what an amazing, oh, probably with the exception of the thing I'll, I'll, I will bring up as my thing, which is around the child safe standards. I think there's some interesting stuff there. But but there's nothing that, you know, there's this kind of big, you know, this is a really big sweeping positive change for the sector. And a lot of this stuff I just look at it and go, did we need to wait for a big NQF review process to be fixing up some of this stuff? Like you look at there's been changes, as Lisa said, there's been changes made as a response to specific incidents in the sector that, you know, were done far quicker. None of the changes that have been discussed here are going to be implemented until, you know, around 2023. Um, they just do seem a bit piecemeal. There's no sort of vision sitting behind it. Um, but the the point you made there, Leanne, is an interesting one that we don't, the sector... Sector campaigns seem to be a lot more broadly based around getting people to recognise there's a large problem and sort of talking about large-scale changes. Whereas that, I think that's, and, and again, you two are much bigger experts on successful sector advocacy than I am, um, but that that approach of sort of identifying specific issues that can be fixed so you know the wonderful make it law and uh, all that kind of stuff we, we don't seem to see as much about that and I'd, I'd be fascinated to know whether we think is that is it a positive or a negative is it maybe that we're more focused on the, the bigger structural problems than the smaller ones and there are probably positives and negatives to that but i mean do you do either of you agree with, with my fairly generalized assertion <laughs> that maybe we do focus more on the big picture now but that probably does leave behind smaller wins we could get Mm, no, I don't think so. I think that's way too optimistic. I think that I can read the lobbying that's gone in and the advocacy that's gone into this, Chris. Chris? Chris. Chris. Is that what we're calling Chris. Yeah. Chris. 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 <laughs> Be like, Chris. Um, I can read the advocacy and the lobbying. It just hasn't come from – it's come from providers, Large and that's providers. and that's the point about the market, isn't it? That's yeah. That's the point. The point there about the market. But I think, um, I think that we've also been channeled into particular ways of thinking. So if you think about the the productivity inquiry, channeled everybody into thinking about fees and about what that meant for families, because that really was all 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 the outcome of the whole thing was let's reduce fees by $30, which I think still probably doesn't happen. But that, in reality, that was the only thing that came out of it. And so I think we've become obsessed with fees and, and systems of fees and, and those things. I think we've been, we've been hijacked. It's the Stockholm Syndrome. True. I do, I do think that because I think we and, – and, and also because there's been no – operational funding that is, think, you know, being delivered out to the sector. So who can bear the idea that fees will go up if there are better ratios, for example? Yep, true. Mm, good points. Um, look, I think we want to get on talking about some of the specifics of the document, but um, I could probably just continue be, this discussion. Just before you yeah. do, go for I just it. got an email and it flashed up, so I had a look at it while we are on the line. This is why I said we've got to do something about actual quality. It's uh, someone who I kind of know outside of the sector a bit, so it's not really a sector thing. She said, this evening when I picked up my four-year-old from a long daycare centre, private, currently managing with one ECT across a couple of services, as that's what's available for us in this area, 
He told me that they did colouring in, which is annoying in itself. He told me that all the boys did Paw Patrol and Spider-Man and the girls did dolls. Mm. So we still have services that think that's okay. That's an okay thing for a four-year-old to do at their education and care service. We have a long way to go. We sure do. We sure do. Maybe that's our campaign. No more poor patrol. <laughs> I don't think the crease is going to cover that, unfortunately. <laughs> but how much more would we read it if it didn't? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Leanne, the length of it is a problem in itself because who in the sector has got time to sit and listen to the department read it to them or to read it themselves? Like, you know... I've scanned through it. I've picked up the bits for the, you know, the submissions that I'll make, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. And there's going, they're going to get through a lot of things that when they come in, people are going to say, how did this happen? And it'll be, well, you know, you've been consulted on it for the past few years. Um, so we wanted to sort of pick out maybe one thing each from the, the, the quiz to talk about a bit more in depth. So, um, Lisa, I don't know if you wanted to bring yours to the table first. Um, I think I covered some of this in last week's, it's last fortnight's episode because I'd just been reading it at the time. But um, Liam has convinced me that it's worthwhile going into it in a bit more detail. So I wanted to talk about um, some of the workforce things um, that it's got in it because they're not fun. So basically, you know, to summarise, what it's um, uh, suggesting is extending the time that a diploma-level educator or a primary school teacher can replace an early childhood teacher from 60 to 80 years uh, days a year. Um, so this is supposed to be, you know, when your ECT get, or, you know, ECT gets sick, um, you know, or one quits and you haven't got another one. At the moment, you're allowed up to 60 days within a 12-month period where you can replace them. So now they're suggesting that goes to 80 days a year um they're talking about um like i'm just summarizing some of the like these aren't the only issues they're canvassing but these are the worst option issues for each of the workforce problems they're seeing allowing primary teachers and three qualified educators to replace diploma qualified educators for 80 days a year so if you can't get a teacher you can put a, a diploma teacher in a diploma educator in there and if you can't get a diploma you can put a cert three um person in there lisa can you clarify something for me that i yep. read today where it is actually written that a primary qualification is a higher qualification um yeah, yeah, I, they may well have put that in there yeah than an early childhood qualification, yeah. than an early childhood teacher. I, I didn't teacher. read that, but if that's in there, then, yeah, that's how they kind of think of things. Yeah, that's really interesting. Very. Okay. Yep. 
Um, and then in New South Wales only, um, they're thinking about allowing a primary or secondary teacher with an early childhood diploma or a diploma qualified educator who's completed half their teaching degree to replace the third or fourth early childhood teacher required in New South Wales in larger services. Now, just for people in other states, New South Wales has had for decades a requirement that you have about one early childhood teacher for every um, 30 children. So whereas for other states it was a big thing to get a second early childhood teacher, some of our services have had four or more for a number of, you know, for decades. And when teachers were in better supply, then it wasn't an issue. But now they're saying instead of that third or fourth one, it could be, um, you know, a primary or a secondary teacher as long as they have a diploma or a diploma-qualified educator that's done half of their degree. Now, the interesting thing about that one is I looked at today at the number of services that that would affect, and there's about a 1,000 services in New South Wales that are over, um, over the... Uh, don't hold me to these figures. I, I did it really rapidly. But, uh, that are over that size, so that this might happen. And if you take the out of school hours care services over that, I think it comes down. If you look at who those services, who runs those services, it is primarily ALACA members. ALACA, for those that don't know, is the early learning and. Care Council, is that what it stands for? Yeah, Early Learning and Care Council Australia. Yep, and what that basically is, is all the big providers, um, it's their lobby group. So you're looking at the Good Starts, the G8s, the Affinities, etc., um, at the Guardians, the Only About Care. Most of those big services that this affects are a lack of members. And I think it, that, you know, this one has probably come from them saying, we get, you know, we're finding it hard to recruit service, it, uh, teachers for our big services, so therefore, you know, reduce the number that we need or give us other ways of meeting it. And then there's, on the other side, so that's, you know, some of the workforce things that they're doing. On the other side, um, uh Oh, so, sorry, I'll just point out what the worst-case scenario for that means is that a service could operate without a teacher or a diploma-qualified educator for almost three months without having to get a waiver, yeah? So you could just have a, you know, Cert threes and one diploma in a service for, you know, for up to three months in a year, which I think is pretty bad. Um then on the other side, because, you know, they're not really happy about family daycare and it's fairly obvious that, um, you know, family daycare isn't um, any regulatory body's favourite um, type of care, they want to make it so that um, uh, educators who become family daycare educators possibly can't do it until they get their Cert three. Now, anyone that knows anything about family daycare knows that it's getting almost impossible to recruit educators for family daycare. And so having to have them qualified before they could start earning money would more or less 
I think, move towards being the end of the family daycare sector. So they're the workforce issues. And I'm sorry I'm being quite so depressed tonight. But that's depressing kind of stuff, really. Hmm. There's, there's some interesting sort of rationales in there because that this is the kind of area I suppose that I'm particularly interested in for regional and remote services. Um, and some of the, the rationale is if it goes to 80 days, then, um, you know, there's more time to recruit for an early childhood teacher. So it's really interesting kind of logic that's going on there. But the it is the most disadvantaged areas of um, Australia that will be impacted should there be changes and it still doesn't solve, it doesn't really solve the structural workforce issues, does it? Nope. I think it, for, yeah, I think for me the workforce stuff in particular is just, is a fundamental misunderstanding of both the regulatory system and the NQF review process. They seem to be using the NQF review process to alter the regulations to make the implementation of the system easier. But the regulations and the standards are meant to set, you know, a sort of minimum benchmark for this is what the minimum we should be expecting across the sector should be. And if we're having trouble meeting that, that's a political, a uh, a funding and an operational problem. It's not a regulatory mm. problem. Mm. So I'm not sure why we're approaching this from, well, how can we twist the regs to make it easier? Not bloody hell, we're having trouble meeting these fairly straightforward regs. Government, what the hell's going on? We need some, you know, we need some more investment in the sector. Mm. I, d I do think that, Liam, it's that thing of, you know, how you said, like there's this whole process of making regulations, etc. One of the primary things about what regulations governments are allowed to make is that they can only make regulations that are um, that is capable that it is possible for those organisations, businesses, or individuals being regulated are capable of achieving. So you couldn't have a regulation say about cars, saying that every car owner had to have um, a, you know, a, a two spare tyres because that's not doable, yeah, because no one would be able to have space to put the second tyre in. So that regulation would actually be against the law. So a lot of these tweaks to the workforce regulations are because otherwise someone would be able to challenge the validity of the regulation on the grounds that you can't demand that services have that many teachers when in fact there's not that many teachers available. Yeah, Which speaks to the problem of the, you know, the, the comes back to we need more teachers. We need to train more teachers because in that the document in Chris, it's it is very clear about the undersupply. Well, doing this is not going to solve that. Doing doing some of the kind of more extreme things in in this, um, it's not going to solve it. We're still going to have that problem. Yeah, but they would argue that they're also simultaneously coming up with a workforce plan, but not one that's actually going to do. This like not not one that's going to adequately supply this kind of what is it twenty percent shortfall or something? 
it's going to take a bit more than that, isn't it? Yep. Anyway, yeah, enough of workforce because some people will just want to slip my wrist. <laughs> what were the two things that you guys did? <laughs> what, what did you have, Leanne? Oh, well, I, I'm not going to go anywhere um, into as much detail as Lisa because she's um, unpacked all of that uh, very beautifully. But I'm just going to talk about this is where I go, oh, I can't find what I'm looking for now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk just very briefly about safety, health and wellbeing. And um, I think that this this is addressing some of the the critical elements of children's um, safety and well-being, and as um, you know, as you both said earlier, it's actually speaking to the challenges and the issues that have arisen um, around actually children's lives in these areas. And this is the trying to manage the risk, I suppose, of the particular things around. Uh, transitions between services from um, school from school to outside school hours care and vice versa and that has always been a huge issue and I think in this case it's really deciding who is actually going to be responsible for this so you know is it the family is it the school is it where where, where does this responsibility land um, the sleep and rest requirements as well because there there is um, you know, looking at the um, children who have died in in um, early childhood settings, who have died of um, uh, sudden infant death syndrome, and some of the new guidelines there that that are informing these um, particular recommendations. One thing that I couldn't find in that was, um, and it's a horrible statistic to try and reconcile, but is there a higher number of children um, dying from SIDS in care in comparison to the population. So, you know, once you sort of do all the those maths things to um, get your measures between those two. So not that that, you know, sometimes you just cannot prevent children. Anyway, I, I won't go there, but I'm just sort of wondering about the, about the um, stats there. Um, the other one again in re response. Why did I? Why did I get this one? This is really, yeah, this is a really sad one. Um, this is also about children's safety in transportation. Again, responding to children that have died uh, in, uh, for example, um, you know, buses due to lack of safety checks and good processes um, there and also the one that's really now become a big issue because we do have more services in multi-storey buildings and you know what if I was making a choice about sending my child to an early childhood setting in a multi-storey building having read this and some of the evidence around this I don't think I would I don't think that there's enough safety in those those particular um, you know, in the the evacuations, but some of the recommendations. There isn't. Really, yeah, some of the recommendations are what I would consider to be an absolute minimum there for uh, you know working with experts to make sure that there were appropriate evacuation procedures. But I can just see a whole new industry being spawned from from that as well. So it's really this is really about managing risks and um, and. 
about ensuring children don't die, which is a very important, um, incredibly important aspect of this. Uh, but it is a, you know, very much a, just a, a response to that. Leanne, there was a, just to answer your thing, there was 93 in 2018, which is the last year we have figures for, there was 93 um, sudden, in, well, sudden uh, unexpected deaths in infancy, which includes sudden infant death um, in general in Australia. And there was only, like, there's only been, to the best of my knowledge, two or three in services in the last year. Yeah, and 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 I think one of those was around, um, you know, the not following those guidelines and a lack of awareness for both the family and the carer in that particular situation. So yeah, those... and so the thing that's being suggested in the RIS, or one of the things that's being suggested, which is compulsory training, like sleep training, seems to me to be, yeah, sure, bring it on. Do we even need consultation about this? No, I don't think so. And there's and some of these things are eminently sensible and probably are actually already part of services, you know, high-quality services. I, w I would think yeah, that there are precisely. excellent training um training measures there and an excellent knowledge within those babies rooms so you know that those those things are actually a no-brainer um but there are more extreme measures that are that are suggested there which would be quite costly and probably are not necessary so yeah, yes. like one of the ones that affects impacts family daycare is no educator that's got a pool to be um, allowed to be an educator. That's one of the suggestions. Yeah, and yeah. that was around. That was around at one stage. I recall that that actually happened in New South Wales for a very short period of time. Do you remember that, Lisa? You must remember that because there was. Uh, I think you might have even steered a campaign to turn that around. <laughs> God, if I did, then I've forgotten about it. I think you it. did. I think you actually, I think you actually assisted with that, and and it was turned around because it was a bit of a furphy at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah so interesting. Yeah. It's coming but, again. but yeah, some of the like, you know, yeah, like I, I think the health and safety things they're always closing the barn door after the horse has bolted. You know, after a child has been injured or killed in a service then someone comes up with a regulation but why not you know yeah. like yeah yeah I don't yeah it's some of them you've got to think about the other impacts like will there be any educators in family daycare if we keep reducing the number of houses that they can be you know that you can run family daycare out of but others like you know Go and get your staff trained about how to look after sleeping babies. That's not a big ask on anyone. No, not at all. And I think that sometimes we, you know, I, I mean, I would hate to think that anything that we said had, you know, that something happened. But I think about that we have strong standards around um, pool fencing, for example, and, and on the way. And, and I would imagine that those things are really you know, there's there's really strict checks around those things in approving. Ah, oh, look, I don't know. Maybe that's... Yeah, they did have some stats in there about pools and it was pretty horrendous. Like yeah. the number 
of services breach because they had chairs that kids could climb up over the yeah. bull fencing next to it. Yeah, so it's not. I I did like that part of the Riz, believe it or not. They did have some actual stats in it. I thought that was good. Yeah. So that we could see how many, like how big the problem that they were pr proposing to solve was. Yeah. I think I also liked some of the things you uh, you mentioned there, Leanne, because there is actually I, I was actually interested in the decision making. So you both praised me for my introduction at the start of the episode, but I actually did a really bad job because I didn't talk about how this is structured. So if you haven't read it, um, there's an issue that's presented and then multiple possible options. So option A is always no change. So basically we keep we keep doing what we're doing and then a range of options. Um, but for a lot of the things you mentioned there, Leanne, like particularly the, the transitions in school age, um, but also like sleep and rest, that kind of stuff, I was really interested to read the options and I came away going, do you know what, it was good to actually consider a whole bunch of different things there. And they tend to run the gamut from putting it all on the service to do something to, you know, regulatory changes that, you know, the, or, you know, the government sort of providing better advice around that kind of stuff. And I, I came away thinking about, you know, how much are we putting onto the sector to resolve some of these issues and how much, you know, is the responsibility of, you know, regulatory authorities or, um, or governments themselves. But for a lot of those points, there were all of the options had some interesting sort of things for me. And th that was probably, yeah, th those ones were more, the more interesting parts of the, of the Chris for me. And I suppose, Liam, also as someone who is invested in the day-to-day -day running of services, that might have made you think about some of those things as well and think, oh, okay, that's something that we could, you know, quite apart from quite apart from this and the changes that might happen, but just in practice now, I suppose. You know, what, what what's happening in practice now that would be that we could improve on immediately? Absolutely. And particularly with things around children's health and safety, my default reaction is there's no regulation that's too much to ensure children's health and safety. But then that's balanced by and you're kind of confronted with that in the in the statement, which is, you know, here's the cost of this. So it might be a, a financial cost in terms of sending people for training, which will have an impact on fees, which might then have an impact on, you know, particularly vulnerable children being out of access, but also a cost in terms of educators or, you know, the people required to do this work. So reading these documents always highlights for me about the importance of this work and how complex and how detailed and what the risks are. But then that's not reflected in the respect for educators, the respect for directors and the funding of the, the system. I don't know how, you know, federal politicians could read something like this. And unfortunately, the probably answer is they're not. But I don't know how you couldn't read a document like this, even with the flaws we've identified and go, I mean, bloody hell, this sector's important. And it has a huge yeah. amount. We're, we're, we're sort of in, we're, 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 tr we're investing a lot of uh, our trust in these people to do this. We've got to sort the sector out. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Yeah. Well, look, we're we're about to hit the, um, you know, the, the sort of the end of the episode. So I want to quickly, I don't think we need to get into this too much, particularly because I'm going to really recommend um, that people go and look at some of the documents here. But um, one of the things that's interesting about this, uh, and is timely, I think, for the NQF review, so it's something that couldn't have happened in the 2014 one, um, is looking at the embedding of the national 
uh, child principals for child safe organisations in the sector. Yeah. Um, and it makes the point that there are a lot of overlaps already. So obviously, in you know, children's health and safety, we have a whole bunch of things around um, child protection and you know more, more generally around child safety. But there are some really good points there are made is that the NQF doesn't tackle uh, specifically this idea of a child safe culture, which is one of the huge recommendations and the huge findings of the, the you know, that fairly horrendous Royal Commission that Australia went through um, at the start of the decade, which is, you know, that we have to have a culture where children are protected and, and safe and believed and that starts right from the top. So I do think there's some really interesting points in there around how that could be embedded and, and the, the sort of the Chris sort of goes from, you know, do we just explain so the options that it suggests range from do we just sort of update the guide to the NQF basically and maybe do some better work in the assessment process to basically don't make any regulatory changes don't make any changes to the standard but let's it we, we, let's bring in some things over that to better clarify it um, to saying you know we have to that to calling out there has to be you know child safe culture uh, references in policies there has to be um, uh, um, uh, you know, actual updates to the to the national regulations to identify some of those gaps between the NQF. You know, someone who's followed this work, you know, since the Royal Commission started, I I am really sort of excited to see that we are looking at these direct parallels between the child safe principles and and the NQF. I think that's a really positive part mm. of the crease, and it's something that I would really strongly recommend people get involved in. Liam, I couldn't agree more. As we record this, there's been an announcement today of an arrest of an educator in um, a state um, to do with child protection issues. And you just think people are still, you know, like our services are still employing people who possibly shouldn't be employed and we need to change that. Yeah, understanding absolutely. as well that it's very hard for services that, you know, because these people are very good at getting around the things that services put into place. But I don't think services are, in general, nearly aware of the fact that this service could be a site for a pedophile. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the reasons why the the national principles for child safe organizations was developed and has been agreed to by all states and territories is this realization which came through the royal commission is that you know human nature is to not want to think about those things and to not want to think ill of people you may be employing or that you already have employed but the the principles encourage and sort of um, you know, gently, not, it'll bump, you know, I really wish it was legislated, I think is the long way of saying we need to do another episode on the national principles. I think there was this opportunity a few years ago where it may have been legislated. Unfortunately, now it's just sort of been adopted, but it is there and, and there is a requirement. Isn't, that, uh, Liam, um, it's isn't not it up to individual states to yeah, legislate it? but no one has. So whether, whether that will happen, I don't know. I, I really hope so, but if it hasn't happened by now, I'm not sure what would be stopping it. But yeah, again, we'll have to. That, that's a whole other episode we'll have to tackle. But one of the things it does is it forces organisations to have policies and procedures in place and have a culture of thinking about this stuff. Where you know, question, you know, question, even as something as basic as, and I still see this, you know, looking on Seek at the educator ads, where there are still ads like, you know, immediate start, can you basically can you start tomorrow, which is just, yeah. you know, the worst thing you can be putting out for people work. So even just thinking about recruitment and HR. Um, 
updating, you know, policies and templates and and recruitment processes to include checks around child safety to make sure that there are reference checks to make sure that you have to speak to, you know, someone who's employed this person in the past, even just basic things like that. But because the human nature is not to want to think about, you know, some of the most horrific examples of, you know, sort of criminal activity we can we can comprehend or particularly given the work we do with young children that having a system and a culture in place is is that's what protects children not individuals but a system that that protects children yeah and i think i mean i think you make such a good point liam about these things becoming embedded within the the standards you know in, within the nqf within the way that we work but we really really need to solve this workforce crisis so that so that We've got people who can think at this level and who can act at this level and understand what it means to have a child safe, you know, to have child safe practices and to be a child safe organisation. Because until we do that, we are going to have the immediate recruitment, the immediate start and the, the damage that is done when someone who is not vetted appropriately comes into a service and does so much damage just because we actually really just have a workforce crisis. Always comes back to workforce. I feel like with the start of this podcast in 2016, it always came back to PD. I think now it is good. It always comes back to workforce. Yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? And because it's not getting better, we're not solving this problem. And, it's, and it is not going to be solved by... I mean, a campaign is good, but it's not going to be solved by a campaign because we're still we're still reaching into the idea that okay, if you you know don't don't forget the early childhood sector, don't it's a good place to go really you know come along and enjoy it like seriously we should have the highest ATAR the highest of all of those things and we shouldn't be having people recommending primary instead of doing the early years because they're smarter which is what is happening in universities right now. So we, we need to hold, do a whole series on workforce. Haven't we done that for at least the last five years? I think we have, but you know what we need to do? What we actually need to do is we need to take the 2011 productivity report, the inquiry, and we need to, <laughs> and we need to read it out loud. <laughs> Oh, I am down for a dramatic reading of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I am Leanne. I am so down for a dramatic reading of that. Let's talk about that offline. Um, But look, the we will include links to obviously this document itself, the CRIS, the Consultation Regulation Impact Statement. But um, if you head to nqfreview.com, a nice easy uh, uh, thing to take part in. There's still an opportunity to contribute. it's one of those things where exactly as Lisa said, you know, who the, the, the amount of time that the sector has to contribute to things is fairly limited, but it is it is one of those significant opportunities, particularly if advocacy is your your thing. And if you're listening to this podcast, it most likely is. It's one of the best ways to, to you know to contribute and actually have a voice in shaping what the sector, you know, will look like in five, ten years. So we'll have all those links on there. Um, we've only covered sort of a few things and there'll be some things that I think that would uh, particularly interest, you know, depending on where you work and and and, and and the the context you work in. But uh, that is it for this fortnight. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. 
The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.